Welcome to Logos Live. I'm Robert Martin, Director of the City Bible Forum in Melbourne, and I'm your host for the show. Logos is Greek for word or message, and Logos Live engages the Christian message before a live audience in the CBD of Melbourne. And do we have a live audience here today? There's a couple of alive people out there, and we also aim to have a bit of fun. Who said exploring the big questions of life shouldn't be enjoyable? What are we to make of work? Challenging, enjoyable, stretching, fulfilling, or necessary, painful, difficult, frustrating? In this series of Logos Live, Frustration to Fulfillment, we're asking if it's possible to find something more at work. And today we're considering fulfillment. I am what I do. And to help us, we have Andrew Laird join us. Now, Andrew has a background in radio journalism, holding degrees in media and theology. Andrew now works for City Bible Forum in Melbourne and directs a program called Life at Work, an initiative aimed at connecting Christian faith with our daily work. And he joins me now. Please welcome Andrew Laird. Thank you. A rapturous applause there, Andrew. Welcome. <laughs> now, Andrew, you work for City Bible Forum in Melbourne. How do. do you How do you feel speaking about work with your boss in a public conversation? <laughs> I just want to know, if I get the questions wrong, do I still have a job tomorrow? <laughs> it depends. <laughs> it depends right. on how wrong the questions are, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. So, so you think a lot about work. What made you interested in thinking about work in the first place? Yeah, I guess my interest has been for sort of 10 to 15 years, really since I started in the workplace myself. Uh, I think one of the common criticisms and objections of the Christian faith and the Bible is that it's irrelevant. And I think uh, in many ways Christians have only got themselves to blame for that because they haven't done a very good job at showing how the Bible actually is relevant to all of life. Mm -hmm. And that was certainly the case for me when I started out in the workplace. I, I didn't really know how to connect my Christian faith. I was a Christian person. Uh, with what I was spending most of my time doing. So it really began a, a quest and a search, which is still going now, 15 mm. <laughs> years later, to try and understand what the Bible says about that topic. And so you, when you first started thinking about work, you were working as doing... Yeah, so my background was working uh, in radio as a journalist. So some days you'd be in the studio reading the news, other days you'd be out reporting on events that were happening. Mm-hmm. Any life-changing events or many major events that you got to report on? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember... Uh, one just springs to mind immediately, the, remember the, the death of the, the last Pope and being working that day and uh, that was just a, a significant world event and so spending my day moving around the city of Sydney where I was at the time working and going from Catholic Mass to another one to another one, um, reporting on the reaction. Uh, so that was a particular, I guess, world event. But other, other occasions, I remember following the, the then Indonesian president at the time around Darling Harbour or around the Opera House when he was in Sydney. So, you know, all sorts of different things. Did, did you know you were... He was, you were had no you idea. Were chasing, no, oh, right, he didn't no, know. No you were just tailing him like some sort of um, <laughs> hitman. Now, we do have, try to have a bit of fun here on Logos Live, and today's topic is fulfilment and identity. So I thought we'd have a quick quiz to test you on how much you know about identity crime. Now, identity crime is assuming another person's identity and involves things like credit card theft. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever thought much about this before. Have you ever had your credit card stolen? Not to date, no. Okay, good. (laughs) Anyway, so the first question. According to the Australian Federal Police, which of these is not a recommended way of protecting yourself against identity crime? Is it A, always cover the keypad at ATMs when entering your PIN? B, shred or destroy your financial papers before you throw them away? C, ensure that the virus software on your computer is up to date? Or D, Keeping a file on your office desk labelled passwords, pins, and other important personal information. 
Well, I do the first two of those four. Right. Uh, I don't have any virus software because I've got a, a Mac and they right. don't have uh, they okay. don't have any viruses. We went into that discussion. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so I'm going to go with D. And you're correct. Yes, a file on your desk. Although, don't you think it would be easy and a convenient way of keeping all of your personal identity information together? Well, you did say on your desk. I might have one somewhere else. Right, okay. Ooh, well, maybe okay. I shouldn't reveal any more. That. That's right, you shouldn't say that. Anyway. Now, question two. Which of these stories of identity crime is false? Was it A, a 33-year-old woman, Wendy Brown, who stole her daughter's identity to attend high school and join the cheerleading squad? <laughs> Was it B, Gerald Barnes, who made a career of stealing the identities of medical doctors and then establishing himself based on their hard work and authentic-looking diplomas on the wall? Was it C, a man, Dave Kovitch, who ran an employment agency in Washington, D.C., who once tried to impersonate the President of the United States? Or was it D, Li Ming, a graduate student who felt he had no way out from a staggering credit card debt? He faked his own death, then tried to obtain a new driver's license, but the authorities, unaccustomed to issuing driving privileges to dead people, called the police, and Lee was arrested for stealing his own identity. So which of those is false? They all sound uh, uh, pretty wild. Um, I was, I was, the, the second one on the pretending to be a doctor, I was reading an article just recently on, on someone who was, who, who was reflecting that it's easier to pretend to be a doctor than it is to be a plumber. You can get away with it. So I'm going to... I think that one's true. Right. Um, so I'm going to go with C, pretending to be the president. And the answer is C. Correct. Yes, that was actually the plot of the 1993 Ivan Reitman film, Dave. The others are actually all true examples of identity theft. So please, give Andrew an applause. <laughs> So in our identity crime quiz, Andrew, you got two out of two, 100%. You have a job. (laughs) Congratulations. Now, so Andrew, is it significant, though, that it's called identity crime and not just credit card theft or stealing credit card numbers? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think it's almost a a recognition that that more than just data about us is being stolen, but something that's sort of inherent to who we are is being taken when people take... I guess, our name and, and details about us, yeah. Mm. So do you think that's, this is why there's such concern over credit card theft or, or yeah, identity abs- theft? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was reflecting recently on... Uh, we were thinking about uh, names to call our children. And on our shortlist, we didn't have the name Adolf. No. Not because that collection <laughs> of five letters was somehow, you know, inferior to any other collection of five letters, but that name carries with it meaning and identity and characteristics of a person. And so when, when we talk about our identity being stolen or our credit card details being stolen, some, more than just those details is being taken, but part of who we are is being taken. So then why is the broader question of identity so important? I think in some ways it gets to the core of, of who we are, mm. uh, what matters to us, the things that we might be passionate about, really who we are as, as a person. Uh, we know is, is bigger than just those details that we might record about ourselves. So then how does the question of identity, being so foundational and important in who we are, mm. how does that then relate to our daily work? I think in the way that we often will try and perhaps construct our identity or determine much of who we are based on what we do. I think we very much live in a context, a culture today where I am what I do. That if what I do is meaningful or significant in the eyes of those around me, then not just is my work significant, but I'm significant. For a period of time, I, um, I worked two different jobs. I worked part-time as a radio journalist, 
and part-time as a pastor in a church, and it allowed me to do a few little uh, social experiments. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, people listening won't get this joke, but for for (laughs) a variety of reasons, I don't need to go to the barber particularly often. Um, But when you sit down in the barber's chair, they often say, you know, what do you do for work? And I... On one occasion, I mentioned my radio work. Well, he's, he was animated and interested in me, and he thought not just my work was interesting, but I was an interesting person. Another occasion, I'd been working at the church that day, and I mentioned that that was what I d- did for my work. And uh, the conversation completely dried up. Mm. Sound of crickets. Pretty much, yeah. yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. That was a, you uh, got but, a quick haircut that day. But very much that sense of, you know, well, this person's not particularly interesting mm. because of what he does. Now, French philosopher Luc Ferry proposed that work becomes the defining activity of man. A human being who does not work is not merely without income, but impoverished. Do you agree with Ferry? I agree with parts of that quote and disagree with other parts. Uh, that idea of being impoverished as a human being if we don't work, I agree with. In that, uh, as a Christian person, I believe that one of the aspects that the Bible teaches about work is that it's, it's an inherent part of who we are as human beings. We've been made and we've been designed to be workers, what I like to call being wired to work. It's just a part of what it means to be human. And so if we're, and I think that's why if we're not able to work, for whatever reason, unemployment or, or disability or injury, it cuts so deeply at us because it cuts at a, a part of what it means to be human and what it means to express our humanity. So, yeah, I, I agree with him at that point. But that idea of... He begins the quote with the words... Defining activity. Work becomes the defining activity of man. Yeah, see, I think if our work becomes that, it can become dangerous. Why so? I think if who we are is based purely on what we do that puts an enormous burden upon our work to, um, to fulfil us and to satisfy us and to really give us perhaps the reputation or prestige that we might want in the eyes of the world. And I, that's a responsibility or a burden that I, I don't think our work can, can handle. But isn't that something that we do observe in the world? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, yeah that's very... what Ferry's picking up on as well. Yeah, absolutely, that this idea of I am what I do and that, and that I, I look to try and define myself in relation to what I accomplish through my work or perhaps what I fail to accomplish. Hmm. But was this something that you've ever experienced in your own personal working career? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you say ha- had experience, but perhaps... Or do experience now. Yeah, I guess continued to, to a lesser degree, but certainly in my early working life, it was a defining feature of how I, I thought about myself and my work. So how did that manifest itself? Ultimately, I think in ways that were destructive for me, um, in that I tied very much my value and my worth and my significance to what I was accomplishing in my work. I think the first moment where I have a distinct memory of beginning to do that was I was working in a small country town at a radio station there. And if you're working on the radio station in a small country town, then you are a celebrity in that town because <laughs> town of 40,000 people, that's all it takes. Right. Um, and I remember, you know, so I don't know if you're familiar with the McDonald's, uh, isn't it the McCappy days where they get the celebrities to sell the burgers for the day? Well, in yeah. a town like that, you get invited to go to the McDonald's and sell the burgers. And I remember wow. standing at this... <laughs> I, remember I can see why you'd, you'd feel significant. Like you're, you're selling the burgers to happy kids. That's right. I remember standing at this drive-through window. I was 21 years old, just starting out in the workplace, and this woman driving up and seeing on my name badge my name and just going, are you Andrew Lett? <laughs> <laughs> and and it, it really it began, I think, what was a very unhelpful pattern in my work life of thinking, oh, my significance, my worth, my value is tied to to what I do. And it only, I think, as work life went on, only for a period of time at least, got worse. 
Well, now, Ferry goes on to say in this quote, in the traditional worldview, work was considered to be a defect, a servile activity. In the modern worldview, it becomes an arena for self-actualisation, a means not merely of educating oneself, but also of fulfilment and improvement. Is there a sense, though, in which I can obtain fulfilment through my work? Look, I think work can be incredibly satisfying. It can be uh, really enjoyable. Um, there can be great pleasure in work. All of those things. But if we're wanting work to be the thing which fulfills us, I don't think you can do that. And I think that's where, just to go back to my experience, I think that's what I was looking for in work. And in, in many ways, was being affirmed by people around me as they were celebrating and excited and interested in, in what I was doing. As they were buying burgers. Well, yeah. I mean, I remember another occasion where I remember it really clearly was um, I was at Sydney Airport in a small little room, a secure room off the side of one of the the runways, and there were only half a dozen of us in that that room, and one of the half a dozen was John Howard, the then Prime Minister. And you're there interviewing him with a couple of other journalists before he jumps on a plane and heads overseas somewhere, and you relay that story to people, and they only affirm in your mind that, wow, this is where, where your significance and your value and your worth comes from, that you're from your work. And for me, it really, it was when, for a period of time, that was taken away from me, that I reflected on what my work had become for me and what I was trying to gain through it that it really wasn't providing. Mm. But don't we feel more significant have greater self-esteem if we work for a top-tier firm or that we achieve more, than, then we become somebody? Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I guess that's what I, I was experiencing uh, myself. But I, I think in some ways it's an illusion. Right. <laughs> um, because it can very easily be taken away. And if, it, if work is the thing which you are looking to find, your, the thing that fulfills you, if and when it, it inevitably t- is taken away from you, that leaves a massive, massive hole. Well, can't you just change jobs? Yeah, well, I mean... something else that's more fulfilling, more interesting, more satisfying? Yeah, and, and, and better at. plenty of people do. I mean, there's some very interesting um, figures on movement in the Australian workplace today and the frequency which with people are changing jobs. But uh, I actually wonder if that's connected to this issue, that our work is the thing that we're trying to find fulfilment in, and if this job's not doing it, then I'll go and try another job, and if that job doesn't do it, then I'll try another one, and then another one, and another one, and another one. Now, there could be plenty of good reasons for, for changing, changing work, and the opportunities that we have to do that are, are fantastic. But I wonder also if that might be a, a chasing fulfilment from our work and finding that it, it really can't provide it. Mm. So what else do you have if you don't have work, though? Well, for me as a Christian person, I think that fulfilment and finding who I am and the thing which will satisfy me more than anything else uh, needs to be found somewhere else apart from work. A question's just come through, which maybe we could touch on mm-hmm. here. How important is doing meaningful work in achieving fulfilment? Yeah, look, again, coming back to that idea that I, that I think we're people who have been made to work. Um, and so, it, yeah... It, Doing working is an important thing to do in, as a means of, I guess, expressing our humanity. And as I said, it can be a, a very satisfying, enjoyable thing. There's been great pleasure in our work. But it's when we take our, our work and make it the ultimate thing that we're hoping will provide ultimate satisfaction, ultimate fulfilment. Work just can't do that. Now, as part of Logos Live, we reflect on the scriptures, the Logos, and we're going to explore a passage today which speaks about seeking true fulfilment. But before we do that, we're interested to hear about why you believe the scriptures are worth following. So, Andrew, what convinced you to become a Christian believer in the first place? 
Well, for me, I, I grew up in a Christian home, and so I, in some ways I always knew something of the Christian faith and in some ways would always say that I've always been a Christian. So the question for me more is not so much what convinced me, but what, almost what convinces me to continue to be a Christian. I guess there's a few key things there. One is that the more and more I look at the Bible, the more and more I feel like it knows me better than I know myself. Um, so it describes me and identifies me. But secondly, also, the more and more I look at the Bible, the more I think that it describes and diagnoses the world better than anyone else. I mean, working as a journalist, one of our jobs was to describe and diagnose the world around us. And journalists could do that at times well, but not the way the Bible can. Mm. But another thing is that in that search for meaning and purpose and significance and fulfilment in life, I think in the Bible I have found that. Mm. And so, for me, that convinces me to, to keep being a Christian. And one of the passages we're looking at now is going to also speak to that issue. So the Logos for the day is from the Old Testament, a psalm, Psalm 42. Now the psalms are like the songbook of the Old Testament, and Psalm 42.1 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Now Andrew, perhaps we should sing it? Maybe. Maybe. You can start. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, what's the, well, so what's the psalmist saying or singing here? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 it's a really powerful image, isn't it, of this deer panting. I mean, I'm not particularly familiar with panting deers, but I'm you know, a dog growing up, and, uh, and I just have in my mind that image of its tongue just hanging out, almost reaching down to the ground, just thirsty, looking for a drink. It's not quite as poetic, though, is it? No, it's as not. The, as no, the, as no. The, it was a Kelpie as, the, as, well, as the Kelpie so. pants for water bowl. <laughs> it's, that, it's, that, it's that image of just thirst in the tongue hanging out. Panting after God himself. Yeah, yeah. He said, as, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants. So it's almost this thirst for, thirst for God. What is it about God that he's panting after? Mm. I mean, in some ways... It's almost God himself Mm. that he's panting after. That there's something about who God is that he wants Mm. and wants more of. Mm. Why is that, do you think? I suspect uh, that there's a sense in which he has begun to experience a little bit of who God is and and recognise that that there's a thirst that he's got that God is satisfying and he wants that that quenched all the more. Now, a problem does arise. What if I'm someone who doesn't actually pant after God? Mm. So this, I guess the, the, the assumption I'm going with is that you know, it's all well and good if you're thirsty for God, but what if I'm not thirsty That's right. for him? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, there's an ancient theologian by the name of Augustine who, who famously said, you know, our, our souls are restless until they find rest in God. And the idea is that, that all of us are restless people. And, and the thing that, we, that we're really looking, longing for, um, whether we realise it or not, is God. And I, I, as I've reflected on my own life, and perhaps a restlessness uh, in my work life early on, as, as we as we unpack that issue today, there was there's certainly a, a restlessness there that I was trying to get work to fulfil and to mm. satisfy, and it wasn't doing it. I was still thirsty, mm. and and it was I guess coming to the realization that that restlessness um, would only be satisfied by God Himself, and so. I, Others might disagree with me on this and others might not describe um, themselves in this way, but uh, I think that that we all deep down have a restlessness for God. So what is it about God then that means he can satisfy? I guess there's an aspect of who he is. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is a a God who is uh, all-knowing. 
He is God who is all-powerful. I mean, the Bible teaches that he, he made all things. But I, I wonder also if there's a sense in which God can satisfy our thirsts for fulfilment, for meaning, for purpose in life, because he knows us in a way that no one else does, because uh, the Bible teaches that, that he made us. Mm. Um, but going even a step further than that, he's a God who loves us incredibly as well. Um, the rest of the Bible teaches, loves us to the point of, of, of laying down his life for us. And, and when you find someone who, who knows you intimately and who loves you to that end, then how can that person not but satisfy you and, and find, find your thirsts for something more quenched in them? Mm. And the psalmist goes on in, and in verses 5 and 6. He says to himself twice, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Do you think he's just had a bad day at the office? Maybe. I mean, that can, cause, that can certainly cause misery. Right. Um, but, but, I mean, as you read through the rest of the, the psalm, you, you see repeatedly he seems to be under attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a verse there, verse 9, it talks about him being oppressed by his enemies. And then the next verse, verse 10, his foes are taunting him. So there seems to be perhaps one of the key things for his downcastness. Mm. Uh, is, Don't think such a word exists, but we'll, we'll go with it. We'll go with well, it. his misery, his, yeah. his sorrow is that he is, I guess he's really being maligned and um, attacked by yeah. those around him. And so what's his solution? One of the other things that gets repeated in this psalm is the phrase, put your hope in God. So you see it there in, in verse 5, put your hope in God. And then again in verse 12, put your hope in God. I think his solution is, put my hope in God. Mm-hmm. It's almost that go back to verse 1, thirst after him, go back to him, because in him you will find fulfillment and satisfaction mm. uh, in spite of the circumstances around you. Mm. So is this solution only relevant to the downcast? No, no, I mean, I, I think, um, as I said, I think there's perhaps a, a restlessness that exists in all of us. Mm. Uh, and, but perhaps it's the case that our circumstances in life might reveal that restlessness to us a bit more, perhaps, and mm. cause us to go looking for more. Mm. A question came in earlier, which relates a bit to that. So what was it that Andrew hinted at in terms of his work identity being taken away from him? Yeah, for, well, I mean, I guess this relationship with this psalm here at that point. But mm. for me, it was really as I was had, I guess, come almost to the point that work is the thing that will will fulfil me and satisfy me because it very much was um, that I got uh, for a period of time got quite sick uh, and wasn't able to work for. It wasn't a long period of time, but it was a long enough period of time for me to really be removed from the work or have my work removed from me. Mm. And during that period reflect on what my work had become to me and now that I didn't have it um, it wasn't being able to provide for me what I had hoped that it was so being taken away I guess so being taken away challenged your identity about even who you were yeah very much so yeah very much so it gave me that opportunity to reflect on what I was trying to get out of work and it wasn't going to do now author Maya Angelou said you may encounter many defeats but you must not be defeated In fact, it may be necessary to encounter the defeats so you can know who you are. To what extent does suffering challenge or reveal our true identity? Mm. Well, I mean, I I guess my personal story is testament to that. Yeah. That it's been certainly in situations in life where things have been taken away, in that case work taken away, that I have realised what I was 
hoping to get out of it that it couldn't give me. And so I think there's a real sense of truth in that. But I I wonder about the necessity of things being taken away in order for us to realise just how significant they have become to us or what what hopes we've been placing in them. It certainly helps to have them taken away. But doesn't it reveal what's going on inside your own heart and mind? If you think... Work's not really my identity, but everything's going along really well, so I'm not really ever tested to see if that's actually the case. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of us might be more reflective than others, and we don't need those real crises to stop and take stock of our life and reflect on who we are and the things that we're hoping in. Um, But yeah, probably for the most of us, those things are very helpful for us to do that. Now, world-famous basketball player Michael Jordan claimed that his self-esteem was tied directly to the game. In the years since he retired, he has been struggling to find an identity outside basketball. He asks, how can I find peace away from the game of basketball? His self-esteem was tied to his work, his work ended, and now he's not sure who he is. What would you say to Michael Jordan? I'd say, first of all, I understand. Yeah, I get that. I resonate with you on that. I have felt that too. And for that very reason, I've got to change the way I think about my work and think about myself in relationship to my work. Um, Because if I do spend my whole life thinking about that, uh, myself in relationship to my work like that, then yeah, when I reach retirement, then who am I? I don't know who I am. And so that's where I think the things we've been reflecting on today where where the Christian faith, I think, really provides a wonderful solution um, to that, to save us from that pain. And so what about other people who leave employment for other reasons? Uh, so someone who's got a young family at home, for example, like they're not working, how, how would you speak to them? How does it, or how does this passage speak to them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of things. I mean, one thing I would say is that there's a, there's a sense in which they are really working. And it's just a different kind of work. Because mm. so you your wife, you say, that, are you she working? I say absolutely, full time. Yeah. Uh, she works 24-7 almost. <laughs> she works longer hours than I do, yeah. um, caring for our kids. Yeah, so... Part of it would be reframing how I think about work because we very much often, I think, um, think about work in our culture, in our context today in terms of the reward, the financial reward we get from it. And so when we don't have that financial reward attached to our work, then perhaps we might think less of ourselves because we're thinking less of the work that we're doing. But that's not the case at all. Um, But I think also that if we are putting our significance and our worth based on the things that we accomplish other things like parenting can at times feel like I'm not accomplishing very much at all today. Yeah. And so that, I think, is why one of the dangers can come as well. So that's why we've got to not um, tie our worth and our value to what we accomplish during the day, whether it's in the office or whether it's in the home. So, Andrew, frustration to fulfilment. Can we find something more at work? I think we can, but we've got to first change the way we think about our work that if we are attaching all of our hopes and all of our dreams and all of our identity and our worth and our value and our meaning and our purpose to our work, uh, then work is going to disappoint us miserably and perhaps even destroy us. Uh, Work can't carry that load. Only God can. But it's as we put all of our hopes and all of our dreams on him and align them with him, and find our identity and our purpose and our meaning in Him, we can then approach our work in an entirely different way and I think then can find great meaning in our work and great enjoyment and pleasure in our work. Let me leave you with the Logos for the day. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. I look forward to you joining us next time for Logos Live 
Please thank our guest today, Andrew Laird. Andrew Laird.